My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Hilder. Hey listeners, welcome back to Transmissions, and thanks so much for joining us. To open this week's episode, I'm going to quote our friend Dee Norson, one of Aquarium Drunkard's visual gurus, the man behind Dead Notes, designer of the Transmissions logo, and one of the finest album art slash layout artists in the business. All right, here we go. Dorothy Moskowitz might not be a household name, but was a musician on two of the headiest albums I know. 1967's vocal and instrumental ragas from South India on folkways, and 1968's United States of America on CBS. As you've likely guessed by now, Dorothy is my guest this week on Transmissions. She joins us to discuss not only the pioneering psychedelia she made in the past with collaborators like Joe Bird and Country Joe, but also her brand new album, which comes out this month on Tompkins Square. It's called Under the Endless Sky, and it's credited to Dorothy Moskowitz and the United States of Alchemy. Working with Italian electronic composer Francesco Paolo Palladino, and composer and writer Lucia Chino Ferrari, it represents a new vision from the 83-year-old artist, at once apocalyptic, vivid, and transcendent. Here's a little selection from it. It's called Unknown to Ourselves. No time to know one another. No time. Truly share All we went through turned to sound Like sweat on our weary hands No time No The USA album is one of my all-time favorites, a clear influence on groups like Stereolab and Broadcast, an influence that I discuss with Dorothy in this conversation. But I want to note that her story is too wide and expansive for just one talk to cover it all. So when you finish listening to this conversation, check out DorothyMoskowitz.com, where you can learn about her James Webb triptych, her Sesame Street work, and so much more. I had an absolute blast speaking with her, and I know you're going to dig this one. Her work represents a crucial link to avant-garde counterculture slash psychedelic history. But before we get into it, Aquarium Drunkard is powered by our patrons. Do you dig transmissions and Aquarium Drunkard's daily music coverage, mixtapes, interviews, essay, video presentations, radio showcases, and more? If so, our Patreon is the best way that you can help us keep making all this stuff. Head to our Patreon today, pledge your support to keep the servers humming and ensure that Aquarium Drunkard is able to share music that we dig with you for many more years to come. All right, here we go. Dorothy Moskowitz of the United States of America and the United States of Alchemy. This is Transmissions. Thank you so much for taking the time. I'm very uh, much looking forward to speaking with you. Well, thanks for having me. I, I just so appreciate the attention. It's really amazing. Well, I uh, I'm so glad to have you here on Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. It's um it's a, a huge pleasure. Thank you for your flexibility. 
I'm going to, for the sake of the listener, we were going to speak a few days ago, and then uh, a windstorm blew down a huge branch on my neighbor's massive oak tree, and it tore down all the power lines behind our house. And so that's why we couldn't speak on our original time. And now there's a wood chipper out there that I'm worried is going to get picked up on this microphone. But, you know. I can't hear it. Okay. So okay. we're probably But I can't in good hear shape. much these days. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure we're in good shape. But gosh, it's been really uh, fun spending time with this new record. And hearing you in this context, I was familiar with the United States of America stuff. Really? You're in the majority. I don't know if you're in the majority. (laughs) (laughs) Well, gosh, for a bunch of us, that's a cult record that is just like, uh, you know, I think of the influence it had on groups like Stereolab and Broadcast. Those are some of my favorite bands. I think the main main, um, influence was on Broadcast with with, with Trish um, Keenan. And my only regret is that I was too shy to ever send the late Trish Keenan fan mail. I should have told her how wonderful she was and how how she brightened up my years, knowing that she was carrying that legacy on. I never did that, so. Oh, gosh, wow. But you were familiar with the band's records and and heard Very much uh... so, and, and just adored the fact that she picked up this little droplet of what I had started and, and turned it, a seed, let's say, and yeah, turned it into yeah. a huge flowering tree, which I never could have done. So she was amazing. You know, may she, she died this month, right? 20, how many, 10 In, years ago? Gosh, I think more than 10 now. Um, but yeah, it's been, I can't remember the exact date, actually. It escapes my, my grasp right now. But she was obviously, I mean, the way broadcast, and I'm sure that that's what it was, was that I got into the USA through broadcast or hearing broadcast or stereo lab, working my way backwards. Um, yeah, she she passed away in 2011, January 2011. Right around this time of year, yeah, late yeah. January. But yeah, so 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 the USA record was just. A coming down particularly that recording has just always been like the mo- the first moment i heard that i was like that's everything i like in music you know especially no that. kidding really how, may oh, i yeah. ask I'm, I'm i know you're interviewing me but i'd like to interview how old were you when you heard it and what year was it gosh great question i think that i was probably it probably would have been around 2006 because that's when I started working in a record store and I was 21 um, and liked, you know, the canon of countercultural music from the 60s. You know, mm-hmm. I, 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 I loved the Beatles. I loved, you know, the Stones. And so I sort of had some foundation, but it was working in that store that I got exposed to so much stuff and so much um, incredible music that I just hadn't had access to before. And the USA was one of those. I bought a very beat up copy of the LP. In fact, one might say unplayable, but I bought it anyway. And I would just listen to it over and over and over again. I was able to get it to mostly play and eventually purchase the nicer copy. But gosh, yeah, that record was was huge. So when Josh from the label hit me up about that, that you were working on a project together and I've spoken with him before, I was like, I, I have to dive in and i didn't know what to expect it doesn't sound like the usa though it sounds like very much its own thing while still maintaining some elements of the usa so it's it's very it's a cool very it's, cool it's a project. wonderful expedition for me going back to your first answer i always had it in my mind that i would that the usfa sank like a stone and nobody had ever heard of us <laughs> until we were re-released in 2004 on sundays at which point mm-hmm. i became sort of a and not well known but an internet presence you could look me up and see things sure. about me and i thought that stemmed from a book by richard Unter- richie Unterberger, who mm-hmm. did something called unknown legends and i think that may have sparked an interest in doing a cd so when yeah. you say that you bought an old LP, I'm shocked. I didn't think anybody had heard of us until 2004. We were we were absolutely <laughs> obscure. So bravo. I don't know how you did well, that. 
Well, and then, I mean, I uh, was able to track down uh, the Field Hippies record as well, eventually. Yes, and, yes. And to me, that one was, uh, you know, weirdly... I, it took that was a grower for me. I didn't connect to it right away. Uh-huh. Not the same way as I did with with the USA, which I think has a much more rock focus. You know, there's like a, for 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 somebody who is coming from that world. But um, but this this new record, I, I would love to hear how how did the project get did, get pitched to you? This the idea of of, of doing um, a new project with these collaborators uh, remotely was that how it worked? Absolutely. Not only remotely in terms of space, but in terms of time and in terms of innate connection. I, I, I had not heard of them. I had just wrapped, say wrapped up. I had just finished, I don't want to use jargon. I had finished a project called Secret Life of Love Songs mm-hmm. with a video critic novelist named Tim Lucas, with whom I still collaborate. He's out of uh, Ohio. And uh, a very brilliant book based almost on a Nick Drake uh, meme or, or I don't know what it was, but somebody comes out on stage and talks about his experiences in life and love. And Tim and I got to know each other on Facebook, became interested in each other's writings. And he said, you want to help me with a soundtrack to my novel? Mm. And so we wrote some seven or eight songs, mostly his, I polished his his lyrics to fit to melody and some of his melodies were sketches and I, I I kind of made them singable and then we added two more people whom you may have heard of Gary Lucas had a cameo on that and Mike Fornatal had a cameo and happy mm. days but it went yeah. nowhere we didn't have the kind of magic distribution that Josh has Josh, ha- Josh, is, Josh is golden when it comes to connecting with people and so nobody ever heard of it except for one Italian composer named Francesco Paolo Palladino writes to Tim Lucas in Ohio and says, let's collaborate. And that was the beginning of it. And Tim is a very busy novelist. He has several books coming out. He he reviews videos all the time. He just didn't have time. He passed the name on to me. I I really didn't know who Francesco was. Mm. Francesco sends me this CD of his called Baren and Other can't remember it's just b-a-r-e-n-e about the salt marshes in venice that keep Mm. the venice venetian canals whole and as a matter of fact in today's paper they're talking about how the venice canals are in very terrible trouble but anyway what i heard on this is a strange story because i don't think i could have answered this question the same way a month ago but now that Mm. i've been thinking of what it was that attracted me to Francesco, it was not that he echoed the recorded sound of the U.S. of A. It echoed the U.S. of A. that existed before the first before the first breakup. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you knew that we got together and broke up before we were signed. Oh no, I no. didn't realize. And there that. was no, another no, no. mad Italian involved by the name of Michael Agnello. Oh, sure. Okay. And his his claim at that time, he was associated with a group called the Provos from the Netherlands and with the Diggers in San Francisco. And his attitude yeah. toward the arts was more, uh, more provocation than random, as Joe's was. And the two sure. of them and me, we did happenings together in L.A. long before the U.S. of A. was started. So I was in New York. Joseph asked me to come. We had been together romantically and that evaporated but we remained friends and when he said he was doing a, a band with michael and yellow i thought oh great that's a combination of joe's new york association with the fluxus and john cage crowd and michael's association or it, you know his commitment to using theater to change society i mean michael mm. was very much a street artist and i thought that's going to be the us of a and when I finally came out, I realized that was a very superficial connection that they had. Michael really wanted to do street theater within the confines of the U.S. of A. and do chaotic things and provocative things. And Joseph, although the album sounds very thick and very mm, out there or, or whatever, it's all scripted. Everything sure. was neatly written in Joseph's 
beautiful hand, whereas Michael didn't want to do that. Then there were other things that came up. When I heard Beren, I heard the chaos of Michael Agnello. I heard the no. promise of what the U.S. of A. might have been had, had we had Michael in the band. Sure, sure. Does wow. that make any sense at all? It makes tremendous sense, and it makes the title interesting to me, obviously. <laughs> Calling the group sort of the United States of Alchemy, uh, you know, it, 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 it's interesting that it both has a direct connection to the past and that and that potential um but one of my favorite things about the record is the way or the about both records really is about the sort of um you use the term happening and there seems to be like that's that's part of these things is that it's something that goes beyond simply like we're going to make a, a rock record or we're going to make a record it was it's more a synthesis of a lot of ideas and a lot of back and forth and a lot of cultural give and take. And I'm just curious what, you know, what approaching a project like this felt like for, for you, you know? Obviously, as somebody who's made a lot of work, you know, what was the process of envisioning this thing like for you? Which thing, the US of A or Under an Endless Sky? Under an Endless Sky. Under an Endless sure. Sky, I had no uh, no forethought. Uh, Francesco approached me, wanted me to do some vocals. You know, the, the very long, the opening, the 23-minute yeah. suite. Yeah. He wanted me to sing at the beginning, and then he wanted me to sing at the end, and he said there might be some other songs. So I thought I was just being invited as a guest singer. Fine, I've done that recently. I've, I, I have some other things out where I, I work with... Uh, Todd Temenant Clark is a Native American. I've done two things on his. You know what? Yeah. I'm going to interrupt myself before my daughter entirely disowns me. All of this yeah. is on a website which she is building. And I need okay. to tell you the name of the website or else she'll never come to dinner at my house again. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I would hate for that to be the case. No, here so, yes, it is. Please it's let us Moskowitz.com. Okay. And all of the things where I'm leaving holes and I can't remember Tom and, uh, Todd's name. It's all going to be on there. So please have your listeners look at that Check beautiful that out. website that my daughter Jessica is now building. And okay, what a what a wonderful thing for her to do. That's a very kind gesture. She is very skilled in that world, and I'm I'm just finding my way around. You know, up until 2018, I did not know how to record digitally. I didn't. I was. Oh. I'm from the 20th century. I know about tape. So this this project would have been all all digitally mostly, I imagine. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So and, anyway, I'm starting to recount how we all got together. I sent one vocal over, but the magic—I hate to use the word magic because it's not magic. It's a lot of hard work. Um, the key glue in all of this was Luca Ferrari, Luca Chino Ferrari, who was a, a rock writer, much like yourself, perhaps, but also an amazingly thoughtful and philosophical poet. And when he sent me his words to sing on Francesca's suite, they were unlike anything I'd ever seen. They were very yeah. philosophically bent. They were very full of imagery that I had never thought of. And it, it, it drew emotions out of me that I had not known were there. Mm. Um, there was also a wonderful challenge involved. With all due respect to Luca's brilliance, the translations didn't sing they didn't have any cadence so my yeah. job which is what i did for the us of a was you know did, was to um to buff up so shall we say those lyrics so that they could fit to the musical yeah. cadence and i find that so enjoyable that's so much fun for me and when i realized how much fun and they liked what i did oh we have another song you want to try it sure oh Francesco's coming up with more music. What do you think of? And it just, it, it, it kind of morphed as we went along. There was no plan. There was no general plan. Oh, we're going to make an album. You know, the next thing we do that's coming up, we're planning now. But that first time, we didn't plan at all. It just happened. Yeah. Well, that's incredible. That's incredible to have it just bloom like that for you. And was, quickly. And quickly. And, I, I've never done anything quickly? so quickly. Yeah, we... We met in 
February, and I was reluctant. I don't let anybody through my cyclone fence without knowing exactly <laughs> who they are, what they sound like, how they're going to. And he sent me the CD of Baren, and I went, okay, that was April. By July, we had an album. Wow. Pretty wow. much, maybe yeah. August. I, you know, it was very fast. Was that the fastest creation process for, for, for you? I mean, that you've been involved in? Of that magnitude, yes. I've done songs for commercials and I did a, a lot of children's music over the years. I had a, a summer children's theater program where I had to come out, had to come up with songs, but those were conventional songs with themes sure. based on folklore. So I already had it half written. Yeah. Well, and this is not a conventional song structure. And it's 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 very like I mean, I was really, the record is, it's very moving and it's very, I mean, there's an intense emotionality to it. It's very, it's very, you know, it's a very, it's very, it's very deep. And there's some stuff in there that I just think, I mean, I don't know. I, it's clear that, that everybody involved brought a lot to, to the project, not just in terms of, you know, work, although it sounds like there was a lot of it, yeah. but it also seems like it was work that just was happening you know and i'm curious about when the spirit catches you creatively like how does that how does that work for you when you are you able are you somebody for whom if a project catches in the right way it sort of consumes you for better or worse oh oh yeah it, it very much consumes and i'm an extremely pragmatic pardon the expression atheistic person i don't deal in woke woo 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 i'm not a woo woo yeah. But I don't believe I've ever written any music. I believe it's out there. <laughs> and I, it's my job to sculpt it and to find it. And I know it's out there. And the intensity comes with the searching for it. Does that make yeah. any sense? Oh, my gosh. You have no idea the degree to which I, I that resonates with me. Because I know, I know what you're saying. You know, I'm somebody who, I guess, over the last however many years, I've greatly embraced the woo or whatever you know some Sorry, my own <laughs> no 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 but 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 this is something that is deeply fascinating to me and it's something i've said to many many people that i i'm in a band with a uh, an atheist a deeply atheistic person who doesn't go in for any of it yeah and we've talked about how sometimes in music there's just a space created where you can experience something. You earlier you said it's it's not magic. It's hard work. But I think maybe if the distinction gets blurry enough, it's both things at once when Absolutely. you're making music. Absolutely. And uh, Luca is there. Luca and Francesco were both very spiritual. Fra Francesco, in a more conventional mm. way, I believe he actually will attend church services or something. Luca, not Luca, is constantly searching. He reads. He reads. Inep, he, he was studying Wittgenstein over the summer. He was mm. studying Shuren in the fall. He's looking at Parmenides today. I mean, he is constantly reaching for philosophical answers, and he's drawn me in with him. And yeah. some of my background enables me to talk with him on his level, and some of it, maybe not, but I'm there. You know, part of what I think is so interesting about the arrangement you're describing is that you describe you, you, you earlier you mentioned that a lot of what you were doing was was sort of filtering this stuff into a musical form, right? You know, and sort of like shaping it into that. And, you know, to have that more analytical approach brought to real freeform expression is... It's it's where the magic again to use that term kind of happens, right? That's where that's art is 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 somehow having both of those things, the sharp blade and the what's the ter I took a this BBC course with Alan Moore, the writer. Uh-huh. And he talked about how every writer needs to have a sword, a cup and he kind of went through this whole suite of tools that you need to have and it's interesting in a band you get various people you know, or a musical project or a musical. I don't know if you all consider yourselves a band. Is that how we you would do when we don't? And we, I don't know, we're a trio of some kind. I call them there a band, go. whatever. <laughs> whatever the terminology you might want to use. 
the way different people just fit together in context is 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 very powerful and it sounds like that's what the case was with this and it was pretty instantaneous or did it take a lot of back and forth and getting to know each other what was the sort of both yes and Mm. as we were getting to know each other the spontaneity grew the final piece was written let's see the very final piece that we did was not the final piece on the album it's um cut the roots part two was spontaneous in that case that's the one song where i did not change any of luca's lyrics he had worked with me so long that he knew i think that i liked economy and he wrote a haiku probably Mm. because it had to be very very spare and uh francesco was writing clearly in, in modal uh, almost raga form and i've been i don't the only the training i've had has been ragaistic i don't know how to describe a lot of modal training in my background so i sure. fell into it the the words fell everything just kind of came down that piece is quite spontaneous and that's that's the result of having worked together we just trusted one another it just came out and yeah and there's a lot of concrete in there that Luca, that Francesco, you know, there were explosions and the sound of bells. And uh, I think there's a marching band at the end. And yeah, it was breathtaking. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a very, it's an incredible, it, I'm glad you brought up that the Raga sort of, the Raga sort of thing. And, and, and I know that you've, you've studied music in a kind of, and you've performed music in a variety of contexts, but you've studied south indian singing jazz um and 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 i'm curious if that's where your approach is rooted as a musician is that was that what you would say or or is that part of it (laughs) good question i think it's maybe maybe i'd reverse it why was i interested in those kinds of forms and that sure so my original i don't really know how to answer that i I kind, no, of, it's no- I kind of waver all over the place, but if there is a common thread, it is in modality and writing and following the modes, which started in college. Right. Um, I had at, been, Ber- at Bernard, right? It's called Barnard. Barnard. Well, Barnard. there you go. You, as you can tell, I'm not much of a school <laughs> a school learner. <laughs> That's even better because I know people who went to you know conservatory who dropped out of music completely because it was so frightening. <laughs> and having gone to Barnard, with all due respect to the music department, I never studied music at Barnard. Right. Um, I studied other things where I felt I had holes in my head that needed to be filled. And music was not one of them. I already <laughs> was too much of an egomaniac to study. Anyway, um, <laughs> there was at Barnard a competition between two. I'll try and how much time do we have? As much time as you need. Because this is a tangent that your editor could cut, but I'd like to explain we lo- how, we how love this all tangents. began. Um, I might have been a sophomore in college, and between the freshman and sophomore classes, there was a competition based on Greek mythology. It was called Greek Games, and there were competitions in discus throwing and um, kind of pseudo horse, you know, horse chariots, and people would be doing poetry and dance and theatrical events based on a particular Greek myth for the year. The Greek, I don't remember, I think it was Demeter and Persephone and Hades that year. And I had written, I had taken high high school harmony, so I knew how to sort of put a tune together. I volunteered to be on the team to to write the ballet score. Mm. Eight people show up the first day, six people the second week. By the time we got to the end of the month, I was the only student. And the professor who had volunteered from Columbia to teach us was none other than Otto Luning, who had been a well-known guy. He had worked with a fellow named Usachevsky in an early tape center. Well, Otto Luning and I never talked about electronic music at all. Huh. <laughs> he huh. sat me down. He said, well, you know, nobody knows what the Greek modes are. He's very plain spoken, Midwestern guy. Nobody, nobody knows what the Greek modes are, Dorothy. Let's go with the medieval modes. I said, well, fine with me. And he walked me through, you know, Dorian, Locrian, uh, uh, Aeolian, uh, Ludovician. I don't remember the names of them. But basically what he did was find a mode and stick with it. And it's not that hard. 
Yeah. Basically, composing is not brain surgery. Just find a mode and stick with it. So that was my first real lesson in composing that I took away. It's not brain surgery. And yeah. <laughs> you I, I had found a quote where you said that that attending school there taught you audacity, if nothing else. Um I wonder I wonder what that might what did you what exactly do you mean by that? is that sort of what you're saying? That's that what thing I'm of saying. like I knew what's the worst I, that could happen? Yeah, just try making sounds and I eventually you sounds. He taught me to trust my ear basically. Yeah. Um yeah. I didn't study anything classical. I didn't study composition at Barnard, but uh, when the actual moment came to judge the classes, we were neck and neck in poetry and in horse trader or, you know, javelin and discus and <laughs> reciting, whatever. Everybody dressed in their little Isadora Duncan Greek outfits, you know. So, <laughs> And we were tied neck and neck with the other class and the scores came in for ballet music. And I was, uh, I put this, I put us into the winning position for the class. Hey, Next nice. thing I know, my little four-point game has me on the top of people's shoulders like I'm some kind of Olympian champion. And they put <laughs> they put a laurel wreath on my head. And I thought, I can do anything now. I mean, <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> so, awesome. So after that, I wrote scores to two mus original musicals at Barnard. And then I wrote, um, I, I became the director of the acapella and i wrote the barnard alma mater which stayed in place for at least five years so i came away from college without a whole lot of academic background but i was i considered myself a songwriter when i left school yeah. and so that was audacity having had no <laughs> no real training well i mean so how did that help you when the us of a gets going and, and that pro and that process begins um what did you see your role as in 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 that group? Was it similar to what you're doing on on the United States of Alchemy record, sort of distilling ideas down, being almost like a, a an editor? One wishes. I think mm. I became. I think I devolved into a chick singer, oh. <laughs> which surprised well, I me. I didn't know I was going to be a chick singer, and I had no background in it. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't have yeah. a lot of dashing moves on stage i didn't have smooth charisma it was hard for me to be the focus of everyone's what do you call it Cathex is that a word cathexis you know where you you put out the energy and the energy comes back and it's libidinous and i didn't know anything about it yeah yeah <laughs> so right. the us of a was hard for me i didn't really fit as as the lead singer and it was only until I worked with Country Joe McDonald that I finally loosened up. And behind a piano, I could do anything because I had that filter in front of me. And I wasn't, the expectation wasn't there that I'd solve everybody's emotional problems from the stage. Hey Transmissions listeners, are you a musical artist or in a band and you're just not sure how to get started sharing your music with the world? I want to tell you about DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun, and uh, here's the important part, it makes it easy. With unlimited uploads and artists like yourself keeping 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music onto Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. DistroKid has just launched a new iPhone app, which allows you to upload your tunes, earn royalties, check your streaming stats, and add lyrics, credits, and metadata. Everything you need to do to get your music out there and resonating with listeners around the world. Head over to distrokid.com backslash VIP backslash Aquarium Drunkard to get started now, Transmissions listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year's membership. That's distrokid.com backslash VIP backslash Aquarium Drunkard. Head over to DistroKid and get your sounds shared with your listeners. I'm curious what you'll think of the my use of this term, but I would say that another thing that ties both records is... Um, 
both of the both the USA records is um a sense of the apocalyptic uh basically you know or a sort of like I guess the the term apocalypse in the Greek which I know you're so familiar with as nah, uh with not really. Laurel. I'm just talking I'm just babbling <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think the term actually means like a revelation is what apocalypse, the word means, uh -huh. a revealing, you know? And I feel like both of these records have a, a very strong sense of like proclamation to them. And maybe that's maybe, you know, I don't know exactly what I'm driving at here, but I'm curious for you if being maybe a little uncomfortable with the role of being the chick singer, the focus that way, I, I can almost feel like I can hear a kind of, uh, similar to the music of broadcast, there feels to be like a distance, a kind of like mysterious distance between, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, not the Iggy Pop thing where he's in your face and he's rubbed with peanut butter and broken glass and you're like, you know, that <laughs> gross thing. It's this other thing that happens that... To me, you know, broadcast, the USA, Stereo Lab, many other kind of various projects, I think of Current 93 sometimes, this sort of like very far back kind of mysterious quality that I, for me as a listener draws me deeper into what I'm engaging in. And I'm just curious, you know, how any of that resonates with you. And well, I apologize. First, thank you very, very much for thinking that. Uh, I know for almost for a fact, because it's so immediate in my mind, that that is true of Under an Endless Sky. I mean, when we talk yeah. about things like Doomsday or No Time to to love, to Deal with One Another or um, I, I Am Stuck with the Black Clouds and the Black Night, all of these things are are yeah. almost apocalyptic and demonic and dealing with with those issues, the USFA, we didn't, we didn't verbalize that to one another, but I think it was definitely there. Yeah. And when you ask if my role was different with, with Frances, well, of course I'm, I'm the elder doyen of psychedelia. So they listen to anything I say. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, gentlemen. I love you both. So as they should, as <laughs> no, they, they should. really don't know, there was a lot of give and take, but uh, we all, knew that we were driving towards something very unique um francesco dynamic daring uh, i he says he's cagey and i don't think he's cagey and i think he's more like jackson pollock throwing yeah throwing sound against the against the door you know here's the here's the workstation he's just it's gestural yeah. and then there's the the depth and almost the fierce alienation and beautiful evocative poetry of Luca and then I'm kind of I am kind of the lady with the scalpel this is not yeah. going to fit here unless we cadence it this way can we put some rhyme in here I like this melody to go with that mode I'm pretty sure I, I had a sort of a mechanical approach to drawing these two really wild people together and it made me yeah. wild inside I suddenly became as wild as they were and you can hear oh. that. And I'm, oh. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's fantastic. And that does come that does come across. That does for sure. I, I'm curious if you know that that sort of apocalyptic mode. I guess it's probably pretty easy for people to uh, vibe with that mode. I think as of late, um, perhaps the last five six years have felt suitably apocalyptic in many ways. Oh dear. Yes. I think there it's a lot of chickens coming home to roost all at once in a lot of ways, you know, it's the but regardless I'm curious, you know, part of that apocalyptic feeling uh that has been so hard and so difficult for a lot of people to grasp and to get their heads around. You know, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of stress there's a lot of fray i think at work but but the apocalyptic is also really re required for imaginative thinking right you have to sort of have like a a fissuring of like getting rid of maybe some old solutions in order to embrace new ones i think about the usa as like this sort of 
leftist countercultural project mm-hmm. where you're all, you know, sort of envisioning what comes next you know to me there there seems to be a kind of futurism or maybe some weirder thing where the future and the past are all sort of blurry you know i think of the song coming down specifically i think it's over now i think it's ending you know uh but there's an imaginativeness to the project and dynamic quality to the music that makes it feel so different than what we normally think of as apocalyptic right um and i'm just curious how how does how does that sit with you i don't know if those things ever came up in terms of my imagination in 1967 i don't Mm. think i i thought that way i definitely think that way now i have other projects going on where i have a, a, a double album with a swedish composer named Retep Folo, otherwise known as um, Peter Olaf Fransson, and it's called mm. The Afterlife. Yeah. And, and he's talking about apocalyptic things. It's just a beautiful, beautiful album. And yeah, it is upon us. It has come upon us, even those of us who are, I am pragmatic, but no, I'm not. Not entirely. <laughs> I couldn't write music if I were. <laughs> you know, that, that, tell me about your band. Are you still, are you performing or writing or? Oh, myself? Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, this does not come up on the podcast generally. Okay. Um, I will I don't mind. Um I'm happy to share. I'm in a number of projects, but yeah, that's that's uh that band performs. Uh we're we're kind of kicking around the idea of another album right now, but we have some shows coming up. Um and then I do a project on my own and then I do a duo project with my friend Zach. So, oh yeah, God. I try to make as much yeah, and it was the pandemic that really allowed me to re-embrace playing music, something I did a lot more when I was younger, but have li- largely shied away from over the last couple decades. So, yes. Can I read you something? I just found this on my phone. <clears throat> Luke and I, this is July 13th, and we're talking about the content of Doomsday, that, mm. that piece where I something yeah. deep inside me, and I know it's going to echo. And, and I was being very literal about what what are you talking about? and he said well it does go back to to egyptian lore where your sin your misdeeds are weighed at the end yeah and he said but i i don't really feel any kinship with catholic repentance and i wanted to use the repentance he said no we can't use that word so he had some limits and let me read you and what was guaranteed at the end i had very as i say i i was the the splicing block you know let's make this rhyme and i'm finding words repentance and constriction you know these are three syllable words that are easy to sing Mm -hmm. (laughs) i'm trying to get a cadence (laughs) guaranteed that i always have a hard time working on a text written by others all the more so i'm I'm just gonna go through it's based on one of my own riches anyway this is fine except for a couple of terms that do not convince me guarantee at the beginning and constriction which i authored I really don't like me being a legacy of our Catholic Christian culture. So he's against the, the formal cultural yeah. religion. And then he says, but repentance concerns a moral dimension already determined in terms of judgments. I have done something I regret. While the basic idea of the piece is that within us, ceaselessly, a tribune is a tribunal is held, whatever the final judgment may be. And the Doomsday Serenade, which is something poignant and seductive, is, and here's one thing that's about Luca that's so strange, one serenades lovers to declare one's love, constantly plays itself out in us as the effect of a compulsory forced reflex. It is our nature as thinking moral animals that becomes a trap for me. So he is really delving into the end of days. Yeah. And sweeping me along in in this rhetoric that is so different from what I knew in the US of A. We never had conversation like this, let alone emails in the middle of writing. So this does this give you a yeah. sense of the intimacy that was going on? Deeply, deeply. Yeah. And and a sense of the the um and a sense of the difference comparing the 60s work to right now you know a difference in terms of the 
level of connection and engagement you have to this project. You're in a, such a different place. It sounds like you know this 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 moment. I would yeah. I was up at night trying to wend my way through through some of his philosophical curlicues and coming out the better for it. I mean, yeah. Doomsday is that's I, I when I get, sent you a, a kind of. Uh, it was kind of an outline because I wanted to fuse the conversation between U.S. of A. and this this wonderful work. I I said to them, you know, this could be an American metaphysical circus when we're done with it. And when we were done with it, it was more. Yeah, it really was more. And I I had no idea. You 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 talked about and that and those are back and forth via email was very helpful for getting ready for this interview. Uh, it gave me a deep sense of where you were coming from. And you said that you, that to, to some degree engaging with this work did sort of instill in you the idea that sort of quote unquote negative ideas can affect the listener in a, in a positive way or an inspirational right. way. Uh, and, and, that sounds like that's kind of part of what is going on here, right? Is like this work is trying to grapple with, it sounds like just like the heaviest and most, you know, pressing (laughs) issues of human nature, you know? So it's like, it's not like you're trying to do a, uh, you're not doing, these aren't pop songs per se. (laughs) Oh, but you know what? I I shouldn't give this away. I hope you're not mad at me, Luca and Francesco. We are going to try and do things that have more, a few things that have more conventional things on the next. Just because we like experimenting. It may or may not happen, but. um, Oh, please. I'm so, so excited to hear where you three go, where you go next, especially having spent time with this you know and it's funny you mentioned in terms of sort of connections between the two records um unknown to ourselves which is a very beautiful song and i think a very i'm i'm attracted to that idea very much that 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 we are all there's a there's a side to each one of us that we we don't even know who that person is necessarily oh my that's beautiful that's it's, that might it's be just, my next song. No, that's so. <laughs> that is very poignant. No, we are well, unknown but, to ourselves. Yeah, I sang it, but I didn't realize that that would have that effect on on a, lis- a sensitive listener. <laughs> yeah, it it did. You and you tied that song to "Love Song for Dead Che" from 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 the, the USA, USA record. I tied it because USA. First of all, I I wrote a lot of the lyrics on the album. I did not write any lyrics for the for that song. That was just sure. a script and his melody. Um, it is a love song in the most conventional sense. Yeah, wine yeah. and candlelight. That's not something. If I said that to Luca, he'd be upset with me. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? That's yeah, he would never say that's a cliche, but anything right. to avoid cliches. And yet in Joseph's framework, it turned out beautifully. The way he yeah. framed it, it worked. Love song. And because it was not a love song to a woman, it was a love song in honor of a political hero. It right. definitely, definitely worked. But if we had tried to sell that, if we had pitched it to Dusty Springfield and called it love song, as Columbia may have wanted to do, which we didn't want to do. Uh, <laughs> yeah. By the way, as an aside, that would have been our single had we agreed with Columbia to just call it love song and take Che's name out of it. Yeah. And we didn't want to do that. I find myself very curious what the parallel universe is where that does come out as a single, because it is, you know, conventionally beautiful and conventionally lovely to listen to, right? You know, it it's really very... is. It really is. You know, I mentioned Gary Lucas, the guitar. I don't know if you ever heard of him, guitarist. Oh, yes. Oh, no, he, he I've, does... sp- I've spoken with him for Aquarium Drunkard. Oh, you have. So you know his his style and his work. He he and I worked together after Secret Life of Love songs. We we have tracks together that have not yet been produced by anybody. Oh, Don't ask me how to get anything released nowadays it's it's a nightmare anyway gary and i did this uh, must have been in 20 shortly after we finished secret life Mm. and 
then uh, he got sick and then I got sick and then we we kind of grew apart. And just this past November, he said, do you want to do a redo of Love Song with me? So that's wow. in the hopper. I said, well, Gary, my voice has dropped about <laughs> perfect fifth. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's perfect, but my voice has dropped. He said, sure. well, I can only play it in A. I said, can you capo? He said, no. So we're going through some technical issues as to whether we're actually going to record it. But that that might might happen with Gary Lucas. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, look, I pray that he uh, throw a capo on that bad boy <laughs> for all of our sake. Um, please, or use your daughter uh, pitch shift it down whatever you got to do gary you know this this is an accomplishable goal i would love to hear that um i'm as a as a as a fan of his playing which is very sophisticated and very rooted and i've used the term emotionality earlier to describe your record but his feels the same way to me it's like i don't i don't hear despite the fact that he's sometimes doing very complex or technical things doesn't sound like that, but I mean, he played with Captain Beefheart, so what, you can't expect him to be normal. No, no, normal he is not. <laughs> and some of his, he is a very, uh, a very rich creator. On the, he's a very spontaneous writer, really. Mm. Yeah, you. I I wanted to ask. I you know, bringing Beefheart up. Um, you know, I'm curious if you could tell me a little bit about how you and Joe might have if you did at all, sort of see yourself in the context of the countercultural pop scene. Um, I know you all toured with the Trogs at one point, no, right? No, we did not tour. No, never. Okay, so that's so that's a, that's a falsehood that's out on the internet. Oh, no. What happened is that we played a gig. It was strangely booked. I think it was Winterland or Fillmore East. Fillmore sure. East. And we were on the bill. I think Richie Havens was on the bill. And the Trogs were on. Was it? Anyway, we did not belong on the same stage with the Trogs. And we had a Trogs audience heckling us. It was ghastly. It was the worst gig I'd ever experienced. And the same night, we were booked at the Cafe Agogo in New York, in the West Village, where I had lived and loved. Yeah. And they had a different, we had, we had to buy a different, we had to rent a different sound system, leave our big sound system over at the big club and we turned on the amps and we had perfect sound my fat my cousin who was a, co- a composer and a very may he rest in peace a very snooty guy thought it was wonderful oh you had such counterpoint dorothy oh so, you know my cousin arnold i love you um yeah it was the best show we'd ever done and then we had to go back and play with the trogs again hey get off the stage <laughs> well, that kind of gets at what I'm what I'm asking or, or 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 curious about is the fact that the the USA didn't sound exactly like anybody. And uh, now, look, I could if I'm seeing the Trogs and you guys on the same <laughs> bill, I'm in heaven. I'm psyched to have really? both, you know. But well, of course. But at the same time, that I mean, I think the Trogs are they're kind of I'm a I'm a I'm a great admirer of their economy let's put oh, it that way wonderful. Oh. they're just really <laughs> wonderful but it's so funny to think you know that what you guys were doing was not 100 percent in line with the maybe the zeitgeist you know uh or, or maybe it was more i'm just curious how it felt to you all to you all kind of in this post beatles this this moment where everybody's experimenting just so vastly in terms of what's creatively possible. And you're all right in the middle of that wave. And I'm curious where you saw yourselves in relation to other other rock groups. It's very, very hard to remember. It really is. I, all I sure. know is that sure. we didn't have a name for what we were doing. We were reaching out to do something that ex- was, we considered ourselves experimental. The word yeah. avant-garde kept coming up, and I hate that phrase because it's an all-catch-all, and a lot of people go, when they hear it sounds academic. We did not know the name for what we were doing. I know, uh, what's his name, from the Red Crayola. Um, anyway, he came to hang out with us, and we knew that we had a commonality. Might have asked him to join, I don't know. Maya Thompson. 
Oh, yes, 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 yes. Gosh. So the red Crayola was some was something that we knew about. I never really heard 13 floor elevators at the time. And I didn't know who else was. There were other groups from Germany and we knew the Velvet Underground, but they were really not doing what we were doing. Although they had stemmed from the same same aesthetic yeah. that we were exposed to back in the early 60s. So sure. we knew Lamont Young. They knew Lamont Young. Uh, people studied with Cage. I think there were people in the in the Velvets that that had that about them. When we finally met up with with the Velvets <laughs> at a gig, somehow Joe irritated somebody in the band, and they tipped our amps over. So <laughs> it should have been. Uh, well. <laughs> You know, for a, a a band that had Lou Reed in it and John Cale, um, <laughs> apparently though, you, you hear that they could sometimes be irritated. <laughs> I don't know what we did that was wrong, but I it was remarkable that the band that was purportedly the most kinship to the, the U.S. of A. didn't right. like us at all. <laughs> I don't know. Well. That's yeah. That's very. That is very interesting. You mentioned like the German stuff, though. So you 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 maybe had some ears on things like, or or felt some kinship with like the uh, can or or groups like that. Uh, no, not really like the quote unquote Krautrock type stuff. Uh, Krautrock was slightly later, and maybe maybe not. It's, I don't know how young you are, but there was no internet to find out about anybody. The only conduit we had, and it no longer exists, was the underground press. And that was right. worldwide. So we go right. back to Michael Aniello and his, his love for the Provo. How did he, he didn't find out about it on his computer. He was very close with the free press in, of, of Los Angeles, which talked about what was going on in the Netherlands all the time. So right. there were these connects. Free Press, the Oracle. I don't know if the Village Voice was all that, but there were little pockets of people writing things that enabled a connection that is quite similar to what we have now with yeah. with the internet. But it, it wasn't as thorough. You couldn't go to the library and say, "Let's see what other groups are using," uh, you know, theremin. Couldn't do that. You had to know either somebody who knew somebody or find it in the free in a in an underground newspaper. At the time. Right, right. So yeah, we knew that we were doing something different. I knew there was a once festival in Chicago that was very close to experimental art. There were people in. Um, I think we identified with with what was happening in Northern California, even though we were a Southern California group. The first person Joseph talked about even emulating was Country Joe. Right, right. Um, I don't yeah. know if I mentioned this in my note to you or to somebody else, that if you listen to Not So Sweet Martha Lorraine and to the chord changes in... Um, Cloud Song? No, no, no. It's the rock numbers. I think it's the second one on the album. Oh, Hard Coming Hard Love. Hard Coming Love has the exact same chord changes as Not So Sweet Martha Lorraine, where it goes from five to four, five to four, instead of four to five. Yeah. And Joe picked that up from Country Joe. Uh, Joseph sure. Bird picked that up from Country Joe. Um, people claimed that I was trying to sound like Great Slick. I don't think I was, but when all was said and done, the comparison did not disturb me at all. I love her. You know, no, yeah, she's she, tremendous. She's yeah, that's fascinating to think of you all as in relation to the Northern California thing, which is which is a a prime example of. A place where the the avant garde and the pop scene, you know, infiltrated each other. You know, similar to what's happening in New York. Obviously, you know, you mentioned the Velvets, and we touched on them. There, there's. I I saw a note somewhere online that that Nico was interested in joining up with you all, or had expressed that, or somebody had expressed that. I wondered if you could tell me a little about that. It's a very funny story, because I remember very clearly somebody coming up to me and saying, Nico is in town, she would like to be in the band, what do you think? And I said, I don't think, I I really don't like the idea. It might have been a mistake on my part, because having someone so famous and beautiful as Nico on, it might have drawn attention to us, but I didn't really know that she could sing at the time. 
Sure. And at the sure. time, she wasn't that much of a singer. Her, She flowered after she left the Velvet. Some of her recordings are magnificent. But she was, again, stuck to sing chick singer style. And yeah. I thought, I, yeah. I don't think so. So someone interviewed me with that same question that you're posing. And I think I wrote, oh, I met Nico. Now, whom did I ask first? Oh, I, I went around and I called everybody in the band. I said, why did we not have Nico? I don't remember that. She never wanted to do that. It never happened. And then I said, but we met her after a gig. She was with Country Joe. And we all talked to her briefly. She didn't really want to have much to do with us. But don't you remember the gig with Joe McDonald and Nico? No, we never met her. Joe never came to that party. So did I dream this? If nobody is is supporting my memory, maybe it, maybe I dreamt it. But I, <laughs> I have very clear memory. <laughs> you know what's so funny is the the past is. I mean, we made I made a poetic reference to being unknown to ourselves, and sometimes that's the way the past is. Like it is like it gets far enough away. I have a couple friends. With whom I've yeah I've been friends with for my whole life pretty much, and you have to check in with each other uh, periodically to be like, just wanted to run a few events past you right because I remember this happening and this happening and somebody will go no that happened two years later and you're like oh yeah it did you know it's a, anyway yeah I'm, unrecovered memories they, they don't allow them in a court of law. You know, <laughs> it's true. So, if somebody well, were to ask me personally whether Joe, whether I met Nico and Joe was with Nico, I would say yes. If you sure. ask Cold Country Joe, he would say no, 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 that never happened. Yeah, but you you mentioned that you you post uh, US of A were really happy to play with Country Joe oh, and to be behind the piano. I mean, that was perfect. a pretty. Perfect pretty, casting. Pretty fun experience. Central casting. I really belong there, and I felt I should be there. And it yeah. was very natural for me. Um, the only changes I made was that I dropped the major sixth at Joe's behest. And I dropped the idea of defining chords. He said, it doesn't have to be major or minor when you're doing this kind of blues, Dorothy. I said, oh. And he gave me a Leroy Carr record to listen. I was supposed to study Leroy Carr blues before sunrise. And that was it. Yeah. So I stopped, you know, I had studied jazz piano with John Mahegan and it was all, again, with the modes and, the, you know, real fixed up. Joe would not hear it, couldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't have anything to yeah. do with it. So I simply took three notes off the piano, threw them in the wastebasket, and it was perfect. It was great. Yeah. And fun? Was oh. it a fun, freeing kind of experience, especially coming out of something that talk was, about. Yeah. You know, being in a rock band and touring and recording, that was, to me, that was the essence. It was not the U.S. of A., which was fraught with conflict and not being recognized. And a producer who liked us in the beginning, but when Michael Aniello left, he lost interest in us. Uh, there was some real tough, tough moments with the U.S. of A. We had tough moments with, with McDonald, you know, sometimes he, I think he lost his credit card once and we didn't know how we were going to pay for the hotel. I mean, there were little <laughs> things like that. Yeah. yeah, there were fun things. But for the most part, can you imagine touring Europe twice, playing in the same recording studio that Elton John had played in and getting to play Elton John's little piano from Honky Chateau? Yeah. Moi, come on! Yeah, there was nothing. Nothing can compare with that memory. We played a place called La Fête L'Humanité, which may be as big as Woodstock in Paris. So there were some real high moments. Yeah, and that's some, beautiful. Yeah, some very low moments. We played, uh, you know, gymnasiums in, <laughs> in sure, Montana. Sure, you know, but that was part but of it. At but at least the crowd wasn't as hostile as those Trogs fans. It Never hostile. Like. Never. You had good crowds. You win that win f folks over with that kind of music, that kind of blues stuff. Yeah, that's very cool. much so. And there were times when there would be old US of A fans showing up in odd gigs. We played the London School of Economics. I'll never forget this. And mm. two Norwegians came up to me 
and asked me to sign some kind of EP, which I didn't know had been released. And they said, and I won't try to do a Norwegian accent. Maybe I will. <laughs> you have a far out to my mind. <laughs> and I, I love it. it. <laughs> Beautifully stated, beautifully stated. And the truth is, uh, this new record, your many projects, yeah, very far out to my mind as well. You <laughs> are really... so loving to have me on here. Oh it's my just... gosh, it's be it's beyond a, a treat to be able to speak with you about this stuff that, like I said, is so, so meaningful to people who, who value not just what you made, but again, yeah, all the stuff that has come after and, and that has been influenced by the psychedelic, metaphysic, weird combination of stuff that you all were doing, your your voice, you know, both on classic recordings and this brand new one, it's it's really it's really been a treat to engage with you on this stuff. And Dorothy, thank you so much. It's thank been a you. real treat. I really enjoyed it. Bye all right, bye. Be well. Have a have a great weekend. You too, dear. How about that conversation? Wow, I had so much fun hanging out with Dorothy, and I hope I get a chance to do so again in the future. Thanks so much for tuning in and being part of Transmissions. I'm Jason P. Woodbury. I write, host, and produce the show. Transmissions is edited by Andrew Horton. Our music comes from Frank Maston, drawn from his discography of gorgeous library music. Find more by visiting maston.bandcamp.com. That's M-A-S-T-O-N.bandcamp.com. Com. Our executive producer is Justin Gage, Aquarium Drunkard's founder. Don't miss his radio show, The Aquarium Drunkard Show, on Sirius XMU, Channel 35, 7 p.m. Pacific Time. Transmissions is part of the TalkHouse Podcast Network. Visit the TalkHouse for more interviews, fascinating reads, and podcasts, like Carmel Holtz, She Rose, a podcast dedicated to amplifying women's voices in song and conversation. If you want to get in touch, you can find my contact info at Aquarium Drunkard. You can find me on social media at Jason P. Woodbury. I'm also part of a project called Wastoids if you want to check that out. It leans a little bit more on the punk side, but uh, uh, some, some cool crossover and overlap for Transmissions fans, I imagine. We'll be back next Wednesday with singer-songwriter Andy Schaff, whose new album, Norm, is a 70s pop-style gem. I hope you will join us for that conversation. Until then, be well. This transmission is concluded. <laughs>